Welcome to the Wasatch Report. This is episode number 87. I'm Suzanne Sherman and Jeff Johnson and I are lucky enough to have Greg Junkbond Carpenter join us today. I cannot think of a better guest than to have as the author of Reverse Deception. We're going to have a lot to talk about today and we really want to hear your feedback. What are your thoughts? We want to expand on this more than just in this episode. We'll be continuing this discussion. Reach out to me on my website, SuzanneCSherman.com. Send me a letter there or reach out to us on our Facebook page, Suzanne Sherman's The Wasatch Report radio show. And let's continue this discussion. Junk Bond, let's have the 60 second version of your credentials here with of course the obligatory disclaimer. And uh, we could do a show on your on your credentials alone, but we've got a lot to cover today. Let's go with the what for right now. Hi Suzanne, hi Jeff, great to hi. be here with you guys. Um, I, I think we could do a show on my disclaimer too, as a matter of fact. Basically, I am a uh, recovering NSA guy, did 27 years in the government. Uh, I've worked in counterintelligence, intelligence, uh, the medical corps, uh, the chemical corps, the infantry, and a variety of other things. Uh, I've been on the uh, offensive side of cyber operations as well as the defensive side of cyber operations. I am a prolific, prolific propaganda writer. And the guy who used to make the Kool-Aid for U.S. government distribution. And now you're on our side. It's great to have you here. It's been a while since we've all done a show together. Today, we are going to focus on social media. There's some issues out here with Utah joining a lawsuit against the big tech giants and the impact that it is having on the mental health of children. As we know, uh, a lot of government interference in our lives comes under the auspices of protecting the children. But before we get started, we cannot, especially with you here today, ignore the issues in the in the media right now, which is this Chinese spy balloon. Is it a spy balloon? What is this? Is it in fact Chinese? And uh, what about these other objects that have been shot down over United States? airspace. Go ahead, jump on. I'm going to let wow. you lead the way on this one. I don't know. I don't know where to start on this. That's a lot to cover. Yeah, sure. Um, the first thing I think of is uh, 1968 F troop when they, when they're sitting there and the Indians look up and they go, it is balloon. And this is the fake knee jerk reaction that uh, the government's having to this type of an operation because the operation itself has been ongoing for decades the Chinese have been flying balloons over the continental U.S., Canada, Europe um, since, gosh, I'd like to say early 80s, as far as I know. Uh, and uh, so just to have a little res reciprocity, we have been doing that to them since the 60s. Uh, so this powers. Is not something new. Right. And it's interesting, though. The, the one thing you'll notice is that all of the countries who like to be intrusive and throw their weight around, they're the only ones that have, quote, spy balloons over other countries anywhere in the world. I'm hardly resident to think that just for a moment that the the principality of Liechtenstein would put together a, 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 a flight or a squadron of balloons to investigate the rest of Europe or, or the Middle East or anywhere else or Andorra, for God's sakes. Right. These these are countries that learn how to live within their means and learn how to be respectful of other people. Um, when we throw our weight around, then we're looking at everybody else and everything's a threat. Right. Uh, monsters to uh, what is it? Monsters overseas. We go in search of monsters to destroy John Quincy Adams. And this well, is this is what we're doing. And this is what China is doing with us. The same thing. Well, I just have a question about this whole thing because, you know, we have the SR-71. We have the U-2. We were over flying all over the world with those planes. And now we have, you tell me how many we have. How many spy satellites do we have up out in the in space, near and, deep, uh, near and far space? So, I mean, really, what what is the big deal about balloons? We're spying constantly. We have all these assets all over the world. I'm just... At a loss to figure out what is so big a deal. You're you're not gonna so you'll hear this only on this program, folks. The exact number of spy satellites that we have. Nobody else will tell you this. I'm gonna tell you it right now, a lot. So there it is. <laughs> well, and, and you know, when I and you're right, Jeff, started... they're at different altitudes, they're all over the freaking place. And it's not just high flying, we have low absorb low earth. Uh, hovering type of birds too that go up just higher than what you have drones going at. You know, the quadcopters and things like that. 
we have things that just go up like that for a short time and then drop back down and we recover them. There's, there's all kinds of stuff out there because we're so insecure. Well, and Jeff, you alluded to this earlier with 1960, uh, Gary Powers with the U2 accident, uh, being shot down and when he was captured by the Russians, this is something both countries are both are all the superpowers, I should say, is, uh, as we mentioned, the countries that can't mind their own business and like to throw their weight around. So nobody really has the uh, authority, or I should say the luxury of playing the victim here. But this is something that the United States government has been doing for some time. I like to refer people to the book, A Century of War, put out by the Mises Institute, where the United States often instigates incidents, international instiga- uh, incidents leading to open hostility. We've been, we've discussed that many times, including World War II, USS Maine, Gulf of Tonkin. We could go on and on and do shows about that. And Junk Bond, I know you have done, done so already. And then they like to play the victim, particularly in an incident that happened in the United States in, oh, around the 1860s, somewhere around there. And again, the victories write history. And now all of a sudden, the United States is is playing the victim here, kind of like they're doing with Russia and uh, Ukraine. They're doing, and I tell people, if if you think the United States reaction in the Cuban Missile Crisis was justified, how can you be criticizing Putin for his response, which was exactly what that was of the United States back in the 1960s? Touche, perfect, perfect. I, I would take us back as far as the spot resolution with Lincoln complaining, right, that no, no, no. The property line between U.S. and Mexico is here, and we sent troops over what the Mexicans sent into the disputed territory. And why do we do it? We did it on purpose to provoke war with Mexico because we knew we could take them out. Yeah, I think we, that was that was Polk, wasn't that the Nueces River? Polk, Polk was the president, right? That's right. Yep. Yep. Exactly. Right. And this is this has been part and parcel of U.S. foreign policy for for a long time now. So. Do you think this is, in fact, what they say it is? And and you had also mentioned John Quincy Adams. I'm not a big fan of Madison, but I do want to throw this in because it is right on point. If tyranny and oppression come to this land, it will be in the guise of fighting a foreign enemy. We also know what they had to say about standing armies. You can see all sorts of quotes on that in my book, Federalism, How Decentralization Can Save America. Go ahead, jump on. Yeah, so the the, the guise of having a foreign enemy is the critical component to bring people, quote, together under the guise of patriotism, which is really nationalism, right? Because a patriot doesn't go out and invoke his will on other people in other countries who have nothing to do with him, who couldn't give up a, a rat's flying earlobe about, you know, what the price of eggs are you're paying in your hometown. But I I do want to point out one other um, piece of interesting legislation that came about in the 1850s. And Suzanne, you may know know about this because, well, having that kind of a background, you probably studied this in in, uh, that law law school thing that you do there. It's called the Bat Guano Act. And the Bat Guano Act of, I think it was 1851, (laughs) it said that Anywhere we traveled around the world, if we came to a piece of land and we said that, oh, it looks like it's not inhabited or it looks like it's not developed, that we gave ourselves the right to take it over and call it an American possession. And we started doing this all throughout the South Pacific. You notice all of the, quote, properties we have there now and places that can't get free of us that still are linked to us as, you know, commonwealths or other legal status that they have. But this law has never been revoked. So technically, if we go somewhere now and we come across the fact that, you know, nobody's living there, well, we just take it. It's ours. That's it. It's amazing how arrogant we are to just do that and not say, gosh, you know, maybe somebody else owns this. Maybe maybe there's other interests here in play. No, we just take it. Well, there so are, not, there are not really uh, imperialists, I guess, are we? There, there are those of the opinion that that's exactly how the ball got rolling on this continent. But you know, again, it's going to be interesting to see what these what these items, in fact, are uh, that have been flying over that. They said, I guess, the other ones weren't exactly balloons. There was one over Michigan. They shut down the airspace over that. It's a developing story. But again, the U.S. government does not have any right to take the moral high road on this. This is something they've been doing 
for a very long time. Again, we're talking about a, a situation that this is uh, part and parcel for what our government does, and um, it, our own. I've, I've got a little a little item right here that I use. It's sitting right next to me to call my friends and family and do a lot of business on that spies on me more than these Chinese balloons have been doing. People need to be concerned about that. We need to be concerned about what we're signing away and what we're giving up on these uh, social media platforms or just Google. I mean, everything is tracking us. That's something else I want to talk about. Um, before we get into the next break, I want to introduce this subject because this is coming up with Utah, and this is also something that should concern everybody. Right now, Utah and other states are joining in a lawsuit and also coming in with uh, their own legislation for impacting social media and how it affects teenage mental health. These, these discussions to me are fraught with hypocrisy and overlooking other issues that have been affecting the mental health of children and teens for decades, but they don't seem to be too concerned about that. But let me talk about this really quickly. Utah is joining a class action lawsuit and this was from the Deseret News, but you can find this on other sources as well. They're joining a massive antitrust lawsuit against Facebook, and apparently dozens of states are involved. And this was announced last Wednesday. They are, they're accusing Facebook of using financial wherewithal to simply purchase competitive companies. And we've seen this, WhatsApp and Instagram, before they grow large enough to become serious competition. Our Attorney General Sean Reyes is one of 48 states attorney, uh, state attorneys general who's joining forces to pursue these legal remedies against the company. Facebook, here's what he's, they, um, our Deputy Attorney General is arguing, that Facebook systematically plotted to change the competitive market of social media and its actions are a blatant profit and power grab. When they entered the social media market, it was highly competitive and consumer privacy was paramount. Today, Facebook dominates the social media market. It bought because it bought or crushed the competition and consumer privacy is no longer prioritized on Facebook. My first response to that is consumer privacy. First of all, we're not Facebook's customers. We are Facebook's product. The other thing is these purchases, and this was what uh, Zuckerberg's response was, these were all approved by the very government that they're appealing to now to do have a legal uh, redo. Mike Lee is also supporting breaking up these monopolies, but they were okay with these acquisitions as well. We're going to address that further after we do a quick break for our friends at Anchor FM. Welcome back, everybody. This is the Wasatch Report. Suzanne Sherman here with Jeff Johnson. Greg Junkbond Carpenter is joining us today. We've been talking about the spy balloons and whatever else is flying around in our airspace. And now we're talking about social media, the tech giants, the monopolies, and how the United States government is seeking to break up the very monopolies that they acquiesced to when it came to the purchases of these startup companies. Now, I'm from Silicon Valley originally, and I know a lot of people, and, and you hear that the goal of these people starting up these tech companies is to have a startup, and many of them, it's fantastic. It gets bought up, they cash in, and they're out. Where do we draw the line between people entering into, business owners entering into a purchase of their company that they created, and what role does the government have in deciding whether or not that's going to be allowed? And then after the fact, once they allowed that to go back and say, no, 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 you're too big and now you're too powerful. You know, it seems to be in this country, if you are too successful, the government's going to step in and punish you. What say you, gentlemen? When we uh, put in place the Sherman Antitrust Acts, pretending like we're breaking up big business, right? Or we're just reorganizing big business so that certain people make money. 
uh, the ones that were making money before are the ones that are going to make money. And that's really all we do is we shuffle the cards around. And it's like in uh, computer security. I, I talk at a lot of government meetings about computer security, and I always get the same response from just a few people. And it's usually the chief information security officer or the chief security officer or the CEO or something like that of these organizations or, you know, the, the key people in the government. And they say, we have a security plan and we're protected by NSA and we're protected by this guy and that guy and everything. And I one day I just sat there. I said, you know, computers don't really care how many pages your security plan is. Every government system that's ever been hacked has had an approval to operate that's been signed off by 26 layers of people so that you could say that my system works and it's secure. And it's the same thing in business. You have everybody approving everything else all the way through every different aspect of every type of process you could have, and it's all for show. You're just building more layers of bureaucracy into things so that more people can get a handout or the key people the appointees of the people that are making the real big bucks. I, I don't I don't see anything. You know, the whole thing with Utah right now about trying to control social media is one of the uh, major goals, the 45 goals of communism out of the naked communists written by retired FBI agent Jay Skousen back in 1958. One of the things that communists are key on is taking control of the family away from the parents. Yeah controlling the children through government. And this is exactly what's happening. And it's funny to see that, you know, the Republican Party doesn't necessarily, they don't package themselves as communists, but boy, oh boy, they sure support many of the planks of the Communist Manifesto and many of the goals of the uh, Socialist Party platform of 1928 and 1932. Just to give a little perspective, they're really champions for that stuff nowadays. 40-hour work week, I mean, paid time off for everybody who didn't earn it. it. It's it's all part of the big scam, in in my opinion. Well, we mentioned this on the last show when we talked about the State of the Union and how the Republicans and the, the, the chamber were, were jeering Biden for saying that there were some Republicans that wanted to cut back on Social Security and Medicare. They should have been cheering that and saying, hell yeah, that's exactly what we want to do because that's the right thing to do. But instead, there's, oh, no, 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 don't you dare accuse us of wanting to do that. That would that would scale back on government. They have no desire to. I remember during one of the last election cycles, and my phone was going crazy, about a, a true conservative Republican in the state of Utah who really thinks teachers need more pay. I said, this isn't a, I said, you just showed why I won't vote Republican because they're progressives <laughs> just like the left are. In fact, they're disingenuous because they pretend to be conservative. They pretend to care about limited government. At least the left makes absolutely no pretense of what they want to do, which as you mentioned here is a total control of the family. So let's look at one of the things that they're proposing to do. Let me back up for a minute. Do you think, and we've talked about this before, Junk Bond and Jeff, that social media, not just social media, I would say even YouTube or even uh, the games and all these apps have some sort of, and this, again, we've seen it compared to cigarettes and how cigarettes were also the ads marketed towards children, vaping marketing marketed towards younger younger adults, I guess is a better term pose a threat, are marketed towards and can be more dangerous to younger people than other products out there. It seems to me that with the algorithms and the topic to that are being pushed, that it is intended to create more participation, possibly towards addiction for these young users. It is a different addiction. You know, when a man or a woman doesn't have goals in life and they don't have any drive, they become addicts and they become addicts of society one way or another. They're addicted to something that will focus their energies because everybody eventually does focus energy in a good way or in a bad way. This tool enables government to keep people, manage people, and control them in a way that people are not going to be problematic. You know why you have a cultural war, and that's to keep people 
it keeps them off the the topic of a class war because you're being manipulated by the people with the money and they're controlling useful idiots who think they're going to be part of the solution and they're not they're going to be thrown to the wolves with everybody else but they don't see it they don't want to believe that this is what's going to happen to them and these are the people that own and control and manage all of these video game companies and have people that write the software of these things because they are designed they they consult uh psychologists they consult optometrists they consult psychosocial behavioral people everything that they can do to sell the product is based on psychosocial manipulation and control and they're going to keep you on that game longer than you ever thought you were going to be on that game you know think about uh which one is it instagram instagram's great you sign up, you have all these friends on Instagram, and how many of their posts do you really see compared to commercials that are, quote, targeted at you? That's collected data from your Google searches in your Chrome browser or in your Edge browser, right? And and everything else that you've collected and done on your phone with, it all correlates because you sign into the same profiles and it's the same thing and it's going to keep showing up. So that's where you're getting. And certain uh, social media platforms are designed for delivery, like Instagram. It's designed to give you the message. Facebook is designed to collect the data. Twitter is designed to get people to differentiate themselves from other people. So each of these, they work together. They're separate, but they all inevitably work together to highlight the fact that you are going to be a problem to the government. And that's where you have the problem, like when Elon Musk was talking about or showing the papers showing that, you know, uh, different government agencies were giving instructions to Twitter on what to do and how to do it. That means you're an agent of the government. You're a lawyer. You know this. If you're an agent of the government, holy cow, guess what? You've crossed that line. You have some significant reporting responsibilities, requirements. And what happened to the story? I was going to say what it went away. It just this and this was huge. This was huge. Two years plus we had to listen to investigations, Russiagate, this absolute dog and pony show in Washington, D.C., when in reality, that was the party that we know is responsible for stealing the election in 2020. But if you say that you're a, quote, election denier because you have a legitimate question about it. But guess what? That's been proven. That's been proven to be true. Well, you but remember the DHS report. It said that if you were a 9-11 denier to the story, yeah, you you you're a danger to America. Yeah. Well, how the hell did that happen? I had people talking out against World War II back when I was a kid, and they would sit around and smoke a cigar or chew tobacco and talk about it. It's like, well, you weren't there, you son of a beep, beep, beep. You know, well, I was overdoing this and I saw this and and, you know, they'd have a good old American roundtable discussion <laughs> around a spittoon. But now you can't even have that conversation. No. And that's how that's how people learn and ideas can develop. You know, if you if you have legitimate questions about, oh, I don't know, how about uh, a rushed to uh, the public? I don't know, perhaps medical procedure, um, you know, to fight maybe a certain virus and you have a question, hey, maybe this isn't been studied enough, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you are a denier of all things in that same category. So we've got the gaslighting, the marginalization, so that the opposite target or the opposite, you know, point of view isn't even allowed. But I do want to get back onto the the mental health aspect and how the government is trying to, as you mentioned earlier, take its place uh, in, in place of the role of the family and guiding their, their children in this. We're going to take a quick break for our music sponsors, Roxanne, who, by the way, has their new album coming out, Stereotypical. Their latest video for the song, Stereotypical, comes out on February 24th. And guess what? It's going to be featuring federalism, how decentralization can save America. I'm looking forward to that one coming out. We'll be right back for our break for Roxanne.
Music for this program has been brought to you by Roxanne, courtesy of Rat Pack Records. Radio Silence is the album and is available on Amazon, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, RatPackRecordsAmerica.com, and RoxanneBand.com. Pretending things will be okay I wish I had the nerve to say Welcome back to the Wasatch Report. Suzanne Sherman, Jeff Johnson, and Greg Junk Bond Carpenter talking about social media and its impact on mental health of teenagers in particular. But this is something that can uh, affect all of us. I do want to refer you to a book called Dopamine Nation. That is absolutely a mind-blowing book. You can get it on Amazon. And I, I submit to you guys that this is the public health crisis that nobody is talking about. I remember years ago, I was flying back to California and I was sitting on a plane next to this teenage boy who was returning home to see his family after two years of being away. He was out getting wilderness therapy and he said he was addicted to video games. This is the first time I ever heard of something like that. And when I said, well, how did that happen to you? And he said, well, my dad likes to golf a lot. What he really focused on was his parents really didn't pay attention to him. And he was socially awkward. And rather than trying to make friends and suffer the pain that you have when you're trying to make friends, whether or not you're socially awkward, that's part of life. But some people can deal with it better than others. He just went into the dark pit of playing video games. And as I'm learning now and doing research, also having read that book, Dopamine Nation, is this has some significant effects on your brain, which we know of this thing called neuroplasticity, which changes the way you think. It also changes your eyes. I've been watching this guy. His name's Andrew Huberman, and he is on YouTube. He is a neurobiologist and a professor of ophthalmology at the Stanford University School of Medicine. Amazing stuff. And he was talking about, he also interviewed the author of Dopamine Nation. These are long format, like three hour conversations, fascinating. And one of the things he talked about was maintaining eye health. And if you're sitting in front of a computer all day and you don't spend two or three hours outside, and that keep that keep those hours in mind. I'm gonna bring that up again. Two to three hours outside, your lens on your eye actually thickens and you become nearsighted. And this is happening to a lot of kids. Interestingly enough, now, one of the things that I had heard with this proposed legislation in Utah is limiting, this is again, where does the government get off and how do they implement limits on social media for minors or people under 16, I think they're talking about, to two to three hours per day. If you think of the amount of time that kids are spending in compulsory education, government school systems, Add to that their homework and extracurricular activities. Somehow two to three hours a day on social media is healthy for them. Where is the outdoor time? Where is the physical activity? Not only are we seeing that, but we're seeing other health issues as well. They're not getting the vitamin D. They're not getting exercise. We're seeing obesity on massive scales. But where, again, now let's turn to the question, what is the proper role of government in intervening on the harm that is being caused by this? Government shouldn't intervene. Government should not be the one to intervene. Government should be the arbiter of last resort for intervention when necessary. Because when they take themselves out of that role of last resort, they become part of the problem. And I think this is one of the major issues that we face today. If I have an argument or a discussion or a problem going on, I can't take it to the court and win if I'm opposing something that government is proposing or doing or saying, because they're not the arbiter of last resort anymore. They are the ones who I'm fighting. And you'll never win that fight. You can't. There's no way. And I don't think that there's any place for government in that. 
at all. Government should not have any. Let me just read this real quick. Uh, goal number 40, goals of communism. Number 40, discredit the family as an institution, encourage promiscuity and easy divorce. Number 41, emphasize the need to raise children away from the negative influence of parents. Attribute prejudices, mental blocks, and retarding of children to suppressive influence of parents. Wow, do we not see that? All the time. It's amazing. I, I, I have referred to this before, and this was uh, Al Gore addressing a gymnasium of high school kids. And I also remember there were ad campaigns where uh, teenagers were, were schooling their ignorant parents, telling them the virtues of electing President Obama. And even Al Gore outstumping for him, telling these kids with his climate change and all that other stuff, hey, there are things you know that your parents don't know. Putting this line that we talked about, uh, breaking up Agenda 21, breaking up the traditional family. How do we do that? I was mocked one time by telling family members, look at the exorbitant amount, exorbitant amount of homework, the burden that is placed on particularly teenagers getting ready for their college prep. Oh, I can't go to church today. I've got to get this report written. How many kids are in fact, and with their parents' acquiescence, because they want them to get into that college are skipping family traditions like church or the Sunday dinner or something like that. We're seeing this, we're seeing this all the time, you know, and, and then none of the stuff that I see here, they're complaining about the influence of social media. What about the harm done by the schools themselves, which is Jeff, you mentioned all the time is the 10th plank of communism, the public education system. I remember, and this was maybe 25 years ago, I was home, when I was living in the Bay Area, I lived in a town called Los Altos, very affluent area. And they were talking about within the school district of three of three schools within that area, how the suicide rates were climbing. This was before social media with the pressure of these, you know, the, the kids in these affluent families to get into the very best colleges. Even a 4.2 is not going to get you into UCLA where I went. You just needed a pulse for a dummy like me to get in there. But it got really, it got crazy competitive. And that was putting a lot of, a lot of pressure on these kids. Could it be now that on top of the pressure there, maybe they're going to social media as an escape from that. And you're substituting one form of stress for another, adding to that the dopamine boost that you get when you're on these platforms. Think about how stressed out some kids get playing these games, right? It's a matter of life yeah. or death of them to survive to the next round or, you know, yeah. to, have, to, to win more than your buddy or something like that. And, and it is, it has a detrimental psychiatric effect. Like you said, you know, I, I read Dopamine Nation. Thank you yeah. for turning me on to that. Right? It, it's an incredible, incredible book. And we don't think of all of those physiological activities that happen in our body that reinforce our behavior or are detrimental because of our behavior. But let me add one other thing on the end of that. Communist goal number 39, dominate the psychiatric profession and use mental health laws as a means of gaining coercive control over your opponents. And I'll, oh. take, it one, I'll take one step further and I'll go to a research paper that just came out a couple of days ago Researchers use artificial intelligence to predict suicide rates. You they're going to tell you if you're suicidal now, and you're not yeah, going to have it, anything to say about it. And they're going to tell you if you have a psychiatric disorder, and they're going to tell you everything about yourself because of AI. And you're going to be categorized, and you're not going to have any word in what's happening to you. Hello, red flag laws. You know, also California, I think they were one of the first in the nation, pardon my French, to come up with these laws restricting counseling. If you had a child that was having homosexual tendencies and was confused about that, and you wanted to get counseling for your child, you could not, that that medical professional was not allowed to give any advice or, or uh, counseling that might in any way interfere with the progression of these tendencies. You don't have to be pro one way or the other. This is not an anti-gay rant here. What I'm saying is there's no place for the government to come up with that. Now we're even coming up with the gender affirming 
you know, counseling. Right. So you you can't, you, it's almost like the parents or their counselors, unless it's leaned one way, you're not allowed to have an opinion or guide them in that way at right. all. So I can support you with two more of these communist goals. Number 25, break down the cultural standards of morality by promoting pornography and obscenity in magazines, motion pictures, TV. And back in the day, if they had computers, they would have said computers. And then number 26, present homosexuality, uh, degeneracy, and promiscuity as normal and natural and healthy. I was watching, we were we were camped in an RV park when my boys and I were in that 2015 trip, which is really what brought us all together. And uh, we were trying to find the Indianapolis 500. So I put up the the antenna the night before to get all that set up. And they had a network television show where they were talking about edible underwear. And the guy and his wife were talking about it. He had been traveling and she asked if he still had them. And he said, no, I ate them on the plane. And I'm thinking, I, I remember they weren't allowed to say the word pregnant on television when the doors were on the Ed Sullivan show making their debut Jim Morrison was admonished and told, do not say the word higher in the lyrics. And he, it was so controversial because he went and did it anyway. And this, now we're seeing that these shows that once are, that were considered sitcoms are actually tools of propaganda, as you said, that which fits right into these communist goals. <laughs> Just because I'm here, Suzanne. Goal number 24, eliminate all laws governing obscenity and morality by calling them censorship and a violation of free speech and free press. Yeah. Well, and, you know, and this is with these games now and how they're actually geared. And we know we know what side that they're on here. We know we know what they're trying to do by getting these kids distracted, by getting these kids having to get to the next level and staying in their league or whatever it is. What does that do? It drives a wedge between them and the parents. A friend of mine was just telling me their 27-year-old son, Junkbot, you mentioned goals and ambition and drive. 27-year-old son who is living at home, who has a job as a parking valet, comes back from his job. Nothing against, you know, if that's what you want to do, fine. But this guy's obviously not self-sufficient. As soon as he comes home, he gets his food. He doesn't even have dinner with the family anymore and goes, takes his dinner and sits there and is gaming. No interaction with the family. And this is another way of keeping the family, breaking up the traditional family unit, the family relationship. And uh, you see this all the time. Even my son, I mean, my son loves his games. And he said, why is everything so competitive? Why can't you just go on there and enjoy the experience? And I said, you know what? I have noticed the same. I use this app called Duolingo. I like to learn other languages and dink around with that. I think it's a good exercise for your for your brain. But you can't just be left alone. I get all these notifications. It's time for your lesson or so-and-so surpassed you. You're about to be demoted to another league. I thought, what is this? I didn't know I was in a league and who really cares? But that's what gets you sucked in and keep playing and playing and playing. And you're either going to pay not to get the ads or you're going to have to put up with these ads. You can't just enjoy the experience. And, you know, they can make the argument, look, you can pay for the ads and not have to be subjected to that. But even if you pay for the ads, you're still going to be reminded that you're out of your league or somebody took your spot. What's wrong with just trying to learn it? And I guess you can just get a book and not have those, you know, and not have that. But I kind of like the interaction and actually mm -hmm. hearing it. Well, humans which you look don't for that interaction, right? Humans look for interaction. Uh, but in in the the quote, I, I would say gaming experience or the online experience that you are uh, participating in, it is about again dopamine, right? Yes. You are triggering because it. I, and I think it started a number of years ago, problematically that is, with Dr. Benjamin Spock when he told us that we should never uh, really admonish children for doing anything out of line. And we had to reason with children that don't have fully developed brains because that works better than anything else. Um, <laughs> and then from there, we've gotten into this passive aggressive society. And now we've gotten to the point where these games substitute real life, like in Wally, -E, right? People are riding around just like, just watching TV all day, not really engaged with anything. We're in the Matrix. 
and because, look at their look at their uh, body mm -hmm. mass and their skeletal system in Wally, sure. by the way. You yeah, <laughs> you, know? you have these people who are well, shall we go bowling today? Sure. Let's go to the Wii in the in the living room and yeah. we'll go bowling. Right? What's that? That you're not actually doing the event, but pretending like you're doing the event because you want the rush of doing the event, but you don't actually want to do it because you're engaged because technology is glamorous. So we want to engage. We want to be connected with technology. And that's the draw that brings us into all of these faux experiences. Well, like dating, dating apps, pornography sites. It's a lot easier to, I, I, I think now, for a lot of people to just have their life experiences without any risk or any consequences. You know, well, that's you can, a key you can risk. engage. Yeah, That's you can you and and you can avoid that and then get on with your life and do your work. But what are you really missing out on? We already talked mm -hmm. about the damage it's proven it's caused to your eyes. If you don't have good eye health, it also helps. It also hinders your ability to um, to protect your to take care of yourself. And a quick summary for Dopamine Nation for anybody that might be curious. I want to read this. The theory really is that we evolved as a hunter gathering species and dopamine provides us with the push to go out and get what we need. We lived in a time of scarcity where dopamine was really necessary to give us the impetus to go out and get often by hiking and going 10, 10 kilometers a day just for our sustenance. Now we live in a time of DoorDash with super high calorie, super high salt, very low nutrition food, which comes right to our doors, conveniently during a time when they might even want to lock us down and prohibit us from getting any kind of exercise With trace plastics in them. Exactly. So, and that's just the beginning of it. So now we have times of plenty. And with this dopamine push, we are developing that it affects the baseline of your dopamine level. So now it takes so much more to give you that impetus. Hence, hence the valet parking attendant who lives at home with his parents who eats his dinners in front of the computer and is doing nothing else. It absolutely is causing failure to launch in a lot of these miners. And this is what's so interesting. Failure to launch where these now getting back to the proposed legislation limiting it to two to three hours per day, well, that takes up all their free time, still has that two to three hours that could be spent with the parents. But again, that's for the parents. They really need to insist on enforcing that as well. Another proposed restriction is banning phones in the classroom. Well, you know, if you surrender your kids to the classroom and that's the rule it is, I, I mean, we grew up without having our phones in the classroom. I, I don't think that necessarily has to happen. Have them shut off. If there's an emergency, I would think that my kids, I would want my kids to be able to, to get in touch with me. But here's the other thing too. If they want to have a proof of age to have minors, people under 16, I think they're talking about, join social media, what information are you giving away or parental consent? That was talked about and then withdrawn because now you're linking your parental information. You as a parent have to surrender your privacy and have your children's information with their account linked to yours. And if they don't, and, and what other information do you have to pri propose, uh, provide, I should say, government ID? That part was nixed in the proposed Utah legislation but they did think about it. Think about if you just have to provide your name and date of birth, how much information you're giving for identity theft. But that's Suzanne. On top of that, Suzanne, that is so chronophobic. Because if I happen to identify as a 16 year old, <laughs> or if a 16 year old happens to identify as an 18 year old, what's to say that they can't have that social media? That's that's tremendously important. That's that's almost ridiculous on both ends of it, but uh, back to the privacy issue. Yes, you're just dumping all of your information into that big cesspool of stuff that's been compromised to help people correlate and target you. It, it just makes it so easy. I, I can't tell people often enough or strongly enough that, you know, even riding around with the little minivans that you see, and you got the picture oh, of the daddy and mommy, and it's like, Okay, you got four kids, two dogs, and you live over here. Your license plate is such and such, so it was issued oh, yeah. in this district or so. I don't know, and I haven't even collected the data from your tire pressure management system, you know, that's screaming all over the place saying, hey, 
I was last filled over here. I have this much pressure. And this is the composition of air that's in there. So I know exactly like what gas station it come from. You know, I, I don't want to, uh, I, I'm not coming out for the case that government intervention is necessary in this. I absolutely understand why they are concerned with the mental health aspects with social media and all of this in general. But it's it's like I mentioned earlier, the hypocrisy of them completely being unconcerned with their policies during the, la the lockdowns, the masking requirements. I actually wrote a blog on facial recognition uh, with infants and how important that is in their, in their primitive, or I should say this is such a crucial part of their developmental time from birth to early development and mm -hmm. how they can't see their own mother's faces. Go ahead, Jeff. Well, it's just another issue where the government finds a crisis to insert themselves. So now yeah. there's a crisis, a mental health crisis in this area. So we have to find a way for, to insert ourselves into that crisis. And what does gen generally when government inserts themselves in a crisis, what does the crisis do? It gets worse. worse. And so yeah. now it's worse. So we have to be further intrusive and make ourselves more of a issue in this crisis and it just continues to go on and on it's just a downward spiral and it it you look at any crisis that there is and the government always inserts itself and it makes it worse and then, and then it has to insert itself more and more you know jeff so what's true. so profound about that point is i would submit to you guys that the crisis came about from the governmental schools in the first place, which drove a wedge by getting the kids away from the family, by exerting their influence over the kids, whether or not those values happen to coincide with the parents who send their kids to these schools. To me, that drove the wedge and gave these media companies and this technology the opportunity to to uh, further the takeover of these kids' minds. Much like, let's say there's a, a relationship in a married couple that uh, neither one of us happen. What happens? When there's a wedge in that relationship, that means another party can come in there. That's when affairs starts out. So when the relationship continues to degradate. And this is what uh, I, I feel that the schools have put a huge wedge in between the kids and the families, allowing the technology to further destroy what's left of that relationship. Before we wrap up the show, I want to just share a couple instances that have come to mind. My son told me about, uh, we, know, we know this family who had told their children, if you wait to get onto social media until you're 16 years old, we will give you each $1,000. <clears throat> Turned it down. They wanted nothing to do with that. Give us the money. You know, don't give us the money. We want our, we want our accounts. We were in Park City at a pizza restaurant. And we saw these two kids playing outside. One was outside throwing snow at the window because it was winter. And the younger child was maybe three or four years old, was playing with him as the snow was hitting the window where he was. But this is what was fascinating to me. Rather than just playing and watching his brother and the snow come to hit where he should be, but stop by the glass, he was holding up a phone with the camera on and observing the world through that black mirror. I thought that was absolutely terrifying. My son was coaching a five-year-old boy. The parents were desperate to get him off of technology, had him out there in the go-kart. The kids doing really well would come in in two laps phone, 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 give me my phone. And then the parents would have to bribe him. I have other friends that say, we cannot get our kids off social media. We cannot get them off of the screen time. We try to say, well, once you do your homework, then you can get on. But then she finds out, well, we're just rewarding you know, them with screen time when we really want them off of it. It becomes a reward in and of itself. This is, this is a battle. I know so many parents, my, myself included, you know, it's really easy to to criticize parents that this happens to. But, you know, a lot of parents, their kids fall into drug addiction, too, through no fault of their parents. There's only so much you can do. You get into the nurture versus nature aspect. And when these kids are away from you as much as they are and women have been taken out of the family and into the workforce, uh, this is what happens. The parents aren't around to raise their kill children. It to me is, um, like I said, I think this video, the, the screen addiction is the public health crisis of the future. And I don't think it's going anywhere. I urge you to please check out this book, Dopamine Nation, go to YouTube, 
and check out this guy, Andrew Huberman. He talks about this extensively, uh, multiple, multiple podcasts on there. But it's, it's something, parents, you better pay attention to it because it, it's already here. And uh, I, I don't know. There's nothing that the government can do that's going to alleviate this. So just like everything else, when we talk about self-reliance, it is up to you. Junk Bond, tell everybody where they can get your book. Oh, they can get it at Amazon in the Americas. They can get it in Amazon in the Europe, or they can call me up or send me a, a tweet at GSCARP12. And I have some for here that I ship out all signed and happy and dandy. Jeff, any final thoughts? Junk Bond looks great. That's a, you're looking good there, big big guy. You know, long time no see. I yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Jeff. Uh, I'll I'll give you a quick parting thought then. <laughs> that was a parting shot. <laughs> I'll take it. My goodness. I'm um, I'm dressed for radio today. <laughs> back in the uh, back in the '60s, with the implementation of the Great Society, we saw one of the final movements of the uh, separation of the family and how to tear it apart. And at that time, I thought that, my goodness, women were no longer married to husbands. They were married to the state. Yep. And now the state is married to our children in an illicit marriage. And we have to figure out a way to break that apart and get our children out of that marriage and get a divorce and help them regain their life. Remember, Hillary Clinton said we have got to get to these kids early when they talked about compulsory uh, preschool. They're playing around, folks. Your kids, their future is at stake here. I want to thank everybody for sticking with us today. And uh, this has been the Wasatch Report. On behalf of myself, Jeff Johnson, and Greg Junk Von Carpenter, I'm Suzanne Sherman. Thank you for listening. Yeah.